Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Brian Kelly goes for two and the win. And the Tigers pull off the upset, taking down Alabama 32-31 in overtime. The same day the Houston Astros win the World Series, their second World Series championship in franchise history. What a weekend it was. We're going to get to it all. But first off, good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. I'm going to be joined inside the studios by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. We have a tremendous show lined up for you today. Jeff Palermo will be joining us at 730 to recap the LSU-Alabama game. And now the Tigers find themselves in the driver's seat when it comes to the SEC West title. Who had that on their bingo card? Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News NFL reporter will join us. This league has been absolutely bananas to start off this season are the Packers in trouble what about the Rams what's going on with the offenses are the Bills really a Super Bowl contender we'll ask him all those questions coming up at eight o'clock today and then at 8 30 for the Big Easy Blitz we have his co-host on every single week on Wednesdays we decided to throw him a bone this time around. Ralph Marvel, the co-host of the Saints Happy Hour podcast with Andrew Juge, will be joining us at 8.30 for the Big Easy Blitz because, hey, don't forget, tremendous weekend, but it's going to get capped off tonight as the Saints take on the Ravens inside the Caesar Superdome on Monday Night Football. Of course, we'll have that game for you live right here on the game. But we're going to start with LSU. Probably the best college football game I've ever been to as a media member. The atmosphere was absolutely phenomenal. I knew it was going to be a good game when I arrived in Baton Rouge with no traffic. No traffic on I-10, no traffic on the bridge, no traffic on Highland, no traffic around the stadium, not really. 
Despite the early morning showers, everyone got there early, and they were loud, and they were proud, and it was a tremendous atmosphere. And then the game started. And for the pretty much three quarters, this was an old-fashioned slugfest. It had moments where you're like, hey, it's 9-6 all over again. Of course, the famous 2011 game in Tuscaloosa between the two. And LSU's offense early on was not seizing opportunities that were presented to them. They weren't able to take the great field position. They weren't able to take how their defense was playing and turn it into points. First first quarter was scoreless. Bernard Converse has one of the key moments in the game. Alabama's first possession, Bryce Young is carving up LSU. Three straight passes all the way down. The fourth pass, though, mm mm-mm. Young, who could not step up in the pocket all game long thanks to the efforts of LSU's front seven, tried to escape, threw it off his foot, back foot, while being pressured, and tried to squeeze it into the end zone. And Bernard Converse said, not so fast. Another one of those transfer guys stepping up in a big way. He's from the state. Played high school ball at Evangel. But spent four years at Oklahoma State. Yet another one of those transfer players coming in making plays for Brian Kelly. Interception in the end zone. Huge in this game. Neither team can get anything going. Not really. And then comes the fourth quarter where it's nothing but scoring. We went from defensive shootout, (laughs) which that's what it was. It was an old-fashioned defensive shootout, slugfest, if you will, to all of a sudden it was a video game. Score, 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 score. It was ridiculous. The defenses started getting tired. Offenses started taking advantage. Credit LSU for being able to run the football. That was key in their game plan. They used multiple running backs. They used Daniel's legs. And they stuck with it. They were committed to running the football. And it paid off. And then right there at the end of the fourth, Bama drives, Young shows off some magical abilities where he escapes not one but two tackles, buys enough time for his wide receiver to get behind the LSU DB 41-yard touchdown. And you could just feel it in the stadium where it was just like, ooh. It was so deflating. Like, the stadium 
was loud and one of the loudest I'd heard it in a long time. It reminded me a lot of the 2018 Georgia game where Georgia, I want to say, was ranked in the top five and LSU crushed their faces. Or the energy before kickoff that same year of the Alabama game. But the crowd stuck with it throughout Saturday night's game. They didn't let up except for that one moment where Young throws the 41-yarder. But the game wasn't over. Not by a long shot. Once again, this was a 7-6 game at halftime. Ended up being 32-31 in overtime. (laughs) Just gotta love that. Young escapes, third and 10, 41-yard touchdown pass. Tied back up 21-17. But Daniels, who has just taken his game to another level week after week after week, the the amount of progress he has made as a quarterback in the SEC from the Florida State game to now is amazing. And credit Brian Kelly and his staff and Daniels for his development. Daniels takes LSU quickly down the field, 75 yards, needed only seven plays to do so. And then Daniels throws a seven-yard touchdown to tight end Mason Taylor. That wouldn't be the last time he threw the ball to Mason Taylor. The extra point was good. With less than two minutes to go, LSU's up 24-21. So you have a swing of emotions. Looks like Bama is going to win. The place deflates. LSU responds. It goes back up with a touchdown. Place erupts. Goes nuts. Alabama, though, puts together a drive. 47 yards, it it stalls, and LSU's defense did that very well on Saturday. Bama had five trips into the red zone. They scored three field goals, only one touchdown, had one turnover. That was your game right there. Get the reigning Heisman winner out of the end zone multiple times. When Bama's offense got into the red zone, LSU clamped down and played some of its best ball. Harold Perkins, an absolute machine. That guy should be getting every snap possible. 40 is the real deal. You've been waiting for a linebacker like him and a pass rusher like him, and you got him, LSU fan. LSU's defense keeps Bama out of the end zone, But the Crimson Tide have to settle for a 46-yard field goal attempt. And by the way, Bama's kicker actually made his kicks, which was a weird little thing in this game because Nick Saban's kickers always struggle. Instead of trying trying to try some trick play or a Hail Mary or something like that, Brian Kelly decides, hey, Daniels, go out there. There's a few seconds left in the in regulation. Just take a knee. We're going to overtime. And people booed. The Boo Birds came out. They weren't happy. But it was the right choice. Overtime, Bama gets it first. They start from the 25. It takes them a little while, but they get into the end zone. 
Williams scores a one-yard touchdown run. Extra point. Bama up. Pressure now on LSU. And what do they do? Design run play. Jane Daniels, 25 yards to the house. Touchdown. And then they go out there and they're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going for two. Saban takes a timeout. Gets his defense set. A defense that features Eli Ricks out there. Former LSU Tiger did not have himself a good game. Two tackles, no pass breakups, got burned a few times, and had two defensive pass interference calls on him. Yeah. Defense is set. Snap, Daniels, Taylor, right there. Corner of the end zone, in front of the end zone. Two-point conversion, good. LSU wins, and the crowd storms the field. It was a sight to behold. And I've said all season long, this Alabama team is vulnerable. Nine penalties again on Saturday. Turnover in the red zone. Some suspect play calling. Defensive secondary, not very good. Tennessee took advantage of it, and you know what? LSU did too. And LSU rose to the occasion because LSU wasn't scared. Alabama's not going to roll. They don't have that mystique they used to have. They don't dominate opponents. They didn't do it last year. You saw the chinks in the armor last year. You saw Georgia absolutely take them behind the woodshed and embarrass them. And then this year has been more of the same. LSU was the more physical team on Saturday. When's the last time you heard that? LSU was the more physical team than Alabama. And they were. Daniels was smarter with the football. He looked more, far more comfortable than Bryce Young did. Young struggled all game long. Bama's tackles had no answer for LSU's pass rush. None. Those tackles were getting beat up and abused all game long. And Young couldn't step up in the pocket either. I counted maybe five passes where he's just throwing it kind of sidearm. Running out, just throwing it into the dirt. Throwing it out of bounds. Guy threw it 51 times. Credit Brian Kelly because it's another win for the Tigers. Back-to-back top 10 victories. The loss knocks Alabama out of any conversation for the college football playoff. And now, not only do you have back-to-back top 10 victories, and you've improved as the season has progressed, the team that took the field inside the Superdome against Florida State is not the same team we're seeing now. Offensive line has gotten better. The two freshmen across the line are absolutely growing up right in front of our eyes. Daniels has vastly improved as the season has gone on, and the defense is legit, especially up front. Oh, and number 40 is a bad man for LSU. Perkins is just a monster out there. Now LSU is in the driver's seat for Atlanta. 
they are top the SEC West standings, which means I do believe if they win Saturday morning at Arkansas, they clinch the SEC West. They go to Atlanta for the SEC championship game to take on Georgia. At worst, it looks like this is going to be a nine, possibly a 10 win team in year number one. Year number one. There were a lot of Brian Kelly doubters that called this show that commented about him not being a cultural fit, about him not being the right guy, about him not being a good coach. Brian Kelly has LSU ranked in the top 10 in his first year, beat Auburn, Florida, Ole Miss, and Alabama. Oh, and they lead the SEC West in year number one, a program that he took over with 39 scholarship players and had a wide receiver playing quarterback in the bowl game. I think he's doing a pretty good job. I think the guy could maybe coach, maybe just a little bit. What do we think? Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Martin to the show. Martin, good morning. What's on your mind, bud? Good morning, Mr. Ball. Beautiful one on this kind of so glorious morning. You know, I mean, I give credit where credit's due. LSU was the better team Saturday. They won, okay? Now, I've been saying this for weeks after I've seen that horrific showing against Tennessee. And I said, I was telling people, if that Alabama team that showed up against Tennessee shows up against LSU, LSU's winning this game. And like I'm telling people this morning, I'd have been more upset if Alabama would have won because they did not play like they wanted to win that football game. The penalties... I mean, they got their defense ain't what it used to be. You know, now, this week, I'm not too sure that we're going to beat Ole Miss. You know, they got to clean it up. If their, their defense is, is at most uh, poor, you know, I mean. But I want you to take a minute to explain to the LSU fans out there that one play where LSU's uh, tied in, dropped the ball, and they were saying the wrong call was made because I think the right call was made because the LSU defender did not have full possession of it. And when the Alabama wide receiver or tight end touched it, he was out of bounds. So automatically that that, that makes the play dead. That's The rules are the rules. Well, you know, because I know if, if it would have been Martin, the other way around and Martin, LSU would have lost, LSU fans would have been Martin, blaming Martin, it on that. Martin, Martin. Okay. It, it, that play ended up not really mattering. And, and second of all, it's it, it's a rule that most of us in the press box didn't even know existed. The SEC offices had to alert the LSU press box about what the rule is and had to explain it because even majority of the media members in the press box were like, we don't understand how that's not a, a, a fumble. And they, they SEC had to explain it. And they even had to send out a notice during the game to explain it. So the rule is a little wonky, but it is the rule, yes. The Sage Ryan play that you're talking about, the former LCA star stripping the ball. Uh, typically, I always thought that would have been a fumble and, and, and when it went to LSU's way. But because the Alabama tight end was technically touched it while he was still out of bounds, it was then the ball became essentially dead on the play and became Alabama ball. So, 
But it's yeah. But at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter. I mean, that that play didn't yeah, that play didn't end up helping Alabama win the game. So. Now, let me ask you a question. All right, buddy, you got to make it quick. Okay, you think we're going to be hearing from that Yankees fan Paul this morning? Because the Astros game could not end it at a more better moment. You know, the LSU game ended, I turned it off, turned it to the Astros game, and it was bottom of the nine, two outs, and I got to see the Astros bring home a World Series championship for good old Dusty Baker. This one's for you, Dusty. Go Astros. And roll tide. <laughs> Have a good one, buddy. Have a great day, Martin. Want to keep those phone calls coming? Love to hear from you. Lots to get to. LSU taking down Alabama. Astros winning the World Series. UL McNeese football as well. We'll get to it all this morning, not to worry. You can give us a call. Game hotline's always open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Well, look, you're going to get second-guessed if you don't get it. I get it. But to me, I just felt like I looked at our team, I, I, I assessed the situation, and um, I just felt like it was the right thing to do. I felt like, you know, I, I don't know that our, our fans would have been criticizing. I, they want me to get the win. Um, that's what I'm here for. But I think if you look at it, and, and you say, well, let's, let's get the quarterback in a good play. Let's get him on the edge. Let's, let's utilize his talents um, that, that you really can't quarrel with the decision. So I, I don't know that it was that much of a, a huge decision from that perspective. Brian Kelly there talking about the decision to go for two. He could have easily kicked the extra point, forced a second overtime, and kept it moving. But – if I'm an LSU fan, you have to absolutely love the fact that your coach said, you know what? Screw it. We have, got, we have Bama on the ropes at our house. We have an opportunity here to make a statement. They can't stop my quarterback. That defense is soft. And you know what? We're not going to leave this to chance. We're not going to go to another overtime. We're going for the win right now. I'm putting the ball in my playmaker's hands, my quarterback's hands, a guy some people wanted to have benched earlier in the season, and we're going to go for the jugular, and sure enough, it's exactly what they did. A lot of the Jaden Daniel doubters and Brian Kelly doubters, it was a bad weekend for them. It was a bad weekend for them. It just was. I love it. If you are if you are an LSU fan, you love the fact that your coach is this way. Goes forward and says, guess what? We're going for the win. And they got it. Let's head out to the hotline. We got people waiting to chime in. James is first up. James, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? 
Hey, Mr. RP3, how the world has changed when Alabama fans are calling in and trying to nitpick one little play that didn't really matter. <laughs> uh, in, in the grand scheme of things, it didn't matter. Look, I, I said this to somebody over the weekend. I, I feel like the, the run's come to an end for Bama. And, and, and people go, well, that's a knee-jerk reaction. I go, no. I says, you started seeing the chinks in the armor a little bit. I don't know if Nick can deal with the NIL era. I really don't, and we can get a deeper discussion about that, but it ain't about that. It's about LSU getting the win second in a row over a top-10 foe, and now they lead the SEC West. I agree 100%, sir, and you're making my point for me. I'll be quick because you got other people waiting, but teams on the upswing, they do what LSU did. They go for two. They do things like that. They manhandle the opponent. Teams on the downswing, and it's not just the LSU game. They get lots of penalties, and they make their coach just start pulling his hair out over there on the sidelines. Yep. And that's been going on for a few weeks in Alabama. It's been going on all season at Alabama. and started even last season, and it, you're starting to see that, right? Nine penalties. Uh, Alabama was the far sloppier team. Yet again, coming off a of bye week, it is not a Nick Saban coach team to me. It doesn't look that way. I know he's the coach. But this is the most undisciplined and kind of, I don't know, a team that lacks focus that I've ever seen him have. And that's that's the thing that stands out to me about Alabama going, eh, everyone else is starting to catch up a little bit, and his teams are starting to lose focus. That tells you a yeah. lot of things. Yeah, I agree, sir. Nick Saban is going to be wishing he retired last year. He's the guy like George Foreman at 50 still booking fights. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I appreciate the phone call, James. Brother, enjoy your day, bud. Let's head back out to the hotline. Welcome on Chris to the show. Chris, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind? Hey, man. Uh, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, I just want to say, you know, man, Ryan Kelly, you know, you, you talked about this cultural fit. When he first uh, came here, you know, coming off of Coach O and the whole cultural thing, the difference in cultures. And I had said, you know, if Brian Kelly can beat Alabama, Brian Kelly coach team, none of that would matter. If if uh, well, how much how much crawfish Coach Kelly could eat or whatever, it would it wouldn't even matter, you know. And and I just want to say this: this is his first year, and LSU fans like myself, you should be so excited today because guess what? This is only Brian Kelly's first year with LSU, and we I say we because born and bred from here in Louisiana, I'm so proud. Um, to be an LSU fan. And I'm just so happy. But, look, I want to ask you this question moving forward. So, you know, if things continue to go right um, and we get we get to play Georgia and, and somehow pull off a mir miraculous win, um, do you see LSU getting into the, uh, the playoffs Ooh. this year? I'm going to hang up and listen. Thank you very much, and go Tigers. Oh, Chris, that's a good question. Thank you for the phone call, bud. Be safe out there today. Once again, we are in a dense fog advisory warning this morning throughout Acadiana and southwest Louisiana, so make sure you're careful out there on your morning commute to work and school. Look, in the, in the regular polls, they jumped up significantly. Now, LSU got some help in that regard. If you're going to play forth the scenario of LSU is going to finish off the regular season 10-2, and two, then play Georgia, somehow beat Georgia in the SEC title game, they'd be 11-2 and two SEC champs. 
would they get into the playoff? Boy, I feel like probably they would. Now, they've never taken a two-loss team. That's never happened. But the Florida State loss looks better by the day as the Seminoles look pretty good. And the Tennessee loss is not an embarrassment as well, even though the score was a bit embarrassing. I don't know. It'd be hard to keep them out because Clemson's out of the race now after they lost to Notre Dame and got manhandled by the Fighting Irish on Saturday. So they're out of the playoff contention, which means the ACC's out. The Pac-12 is back in it because of the way Oregon's been playing since being curb stomped by Georgia in the opener in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. Oregon's been a completely different team. So they could get into the mix as well. Would the committee take an undefeated Big 12 team like TCU? Would they take a one-loss Oregon team over a two-loss SEC champ? It'd be interesting to see. We'll see on Tuesday where LSU lands in the college football playoff rankings. Because remember, the initial rankings, it was Tennessee 1. Well, they're not going to be 1 anymore after they got just bullied by Georgia. Ohio State 2, Georgia 3, Clemson 4, Michigan 5, Bama 6. Tennessee's probably going to stay in the top four, but drop down to four. Georgia's going to be more than likely, if I had to guess, Georgia 1, Ohio State 2, maybe Michigan 3. Then Tennessee 4. Oregon maybe 5. Could LSU jump all the way up to six in the college football playoff rankings? They could. And if that's the case, if they're around six, and then they went out and they beat Georgia, they're getting into the playoff. But that's a lot of what if still to come. Keep those phone calls coming. Game hotlines open 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. More RP3 and company coming up after this right here on the game southwest louisiana sports station and your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros let your voice be heard hello give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind yellow this is the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station LCS, but that sweep against the Yankees. Mancini playing behind the runner at first. He goes, and the pitch is lifted to right by Cassianos. Long run for Tucker over toward the line and foul territory. Makes the catch, and the Houston Astros do it again. 2022 World Series champions. For the second time in six years, the Astros are baseball's best. They beat the Phillies tonight by a final of four to one and win the World Series four games to two. A mob scene between the pitcher's mound and second base. I've heard somewhere before that you can never underestimate the heart of a champion and here we go again. Houston proud and Houston strong. The Astros on top of the world once again. Astros 
take down the Phillies in Game 6 of the World Series in Houston on Saturday night. Second World Series championship in franchise history. And now this changes everything about the perception of the Strohs. They were teetering on Atlanta Braves 1990s territory. Great franchise, win a lot of games, win a lot of playoff games, but struggled to win World Series championships. World Series loss in 2019, inexplicably to the Nationals, then last year losing to the Atlanta Braves. On top of it, you had the trash can stealing signs scandal that has made everyone angry. Well, I've made a lot of people angry. Not me. I don't care. Made a lot of people angry. Tarnished that 2017 championship for a lot of folks. Well, there's nothing to tarnish here. This is what this does now. Because six straight ALCSs, two World Series championships in that run, now makes it look more like a dynasty and less of the Atlanta Braves dynasty from the 1990s, which you only were able to get one championship packaged between four World Series losses. 91, 92, 96, 99. Astros avoid that. And it's a bit of redemption, isn't it? Verlander finally gets his first World Series win. And comes back from Tommy John. Redemption for him. Redemption for Dusty Baker. Finally breaking through and winning a World Series championship. One of the greatest skippers of all time. Never to have won one. He gets his ring. Redemption for James Click. Making the moves that he did. Not bringing back Carlos Correa. Having faith in his abilities to bring up the guys they had, in, in particular, Jeremy Pena, your World Series MVP, by the way, a rookie. Won the Gold Glove, ALCS MVP, World Series MVP. Yeah, worked out fairly well there. And just redemption for the franchise as a whole. After losing two World Series to NL East teams, Two World Series that they probably should have won. Specifically, the 19 World Series they should have won. And now they're World Series champs. And there's no trash cans. There's no cheating. There's none of that. They prove to everyone that they are the best team in baseball. That they're the best-ran franchise in baseball. Six straight ALCSs. Four trips to the World Series, two World Series wins in six-year period. Yeah. And as much, and this automatically, what this also does, it diffuses the narrative of the Astros as cheaters. There'll still be some that will say that, just like they were after New England got busted for deflate gate. There'll still be ones that say all the, you know, just like the Patriots always have this big stigma of being cheaters, 
the Astros will still have that stigma in some corners. There'll still be some media members that will say that. There will still be Yankee fans that will definitely yell that from the top at the top of the roofs. So will Dodger fans. But it will now die down because the Strohs prove that they can win without the help of trash cans. Which I still don't quite understand the physics of how can you hear a trash can from the dugout in a loud ballpark to determine what type of pitch is coming. I, I, <laughs> I'm just saying, I've been in a lot of ballparks my life. Still can't quite wrap my brain around how that actually works. But I digress. Strohs are the winner. They're the champs. Dusty Baker gets his ring. Verlander gets his World Series win. The bullpen was lights out. Just ridiculous. Lights out. And the Strohs are the champions. And here's the other thing. Who do they lose? They don't lose a lot. Verlander's probably going to leave. JV's probably going to get one last big deal, a three-year deal. Someone's going to overpay for JV. He's going to win the Cy Young Award. He's 39. He'll be 40. But someone will pay for him. It will more than likely not be the Astros. But, But guess what? The team that's done the best job of any franchise when it comes to signing international free agents, they're good. Because they got their guys. They have Garcia. They have Hunter Brown. They have Urquidy. They have Christian Javier. They're good to go. And they still got Altuve and Bregman and Alvarez and Pena and Tucker. Yeah, they're going to lose Michael Brantley Jr. More than likely, Yuli Gurriel's not going to come back. So just like every team, you lose components off of your World Series championship team. But the Astros have proven that they can deal with this over and over again. Because in recent years, since winning the title in 17, they've lost, what, George Springer, Garrett Cole, Zach Greinke, Carlos Correa. And did they miss a beat? No. They didn't. And guess who's going to be a contender once again to win the World Series again next year? The Houston Astros. We got to take a timeout. But before we do, we have to unveil our poll question of the day. We've had so much fun, we haven't even been able to get to it yet. We're asking you, Monday Night Football. Oh, it's going to be a good one. Ravens, Saints, inside the Caesar Superdome. Who do you have winning tonight's Monday Night Football game? Do you have the Saints winning? Do you have the Ravens winning? Or do you not care because LSU won over the weekend? Or do you not care because the Astros won the World Series? We're giving you multiple options. Maybe some of you are still in a celebratory mood and you don't really care. You can vote that way as well. Keep those votes coming. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter and we'll share them throughout today's show. We got to take a time out when we return. We'll wrap up our number one here of RP3 and company. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, in your home for the LSU Tigers 
and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Poll question of the day. Who do you have winning tonight's Monday Night Football game? 41% of you say the Saints. 24% say the Ravens. 18% of you say, who cares? LSU won. You're still happy about that. And 17% say, who cares? Astros won the World Series. Brad on the Twitter says, who dat? Now everyone talking playoff what ifs for LSU, and I've thought about that too, but this morning I'm in the mindset of let's just beat Arkansas, then UAB, then A&M, then we'll see. Arkansas lost over the weekend to Liberty. Texas A&M lost again. A&M has to win out just to get bowl eligible. LSU is going to be favored in their final three games. But the trip up to Fayetteville, 11 a.m. kick, is going to be tricky this week. I expect LSU to win, but dealing with success is something this team's going to have to understand. And Arkansas is going to be desperate. I still like I still like LSU to win, but and they're going to be favored in their final three games. JPK, the OD, says Saints, two things. One, defense last week was a wake-up, not a one-off. Two, if you jumped off the bandwagon, don't try to get back on tomorrow morning. Hashtag no bandwagon fans allowed. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, I think the defense is where it needs to be, and that's why I traded Lamar to James. He will be shut down tonight. Nice. Ton says, I gave up on the Saints for this season. They'll probably backslide to another loss. Let's go, Strohs. Only 144 days until opening day. Joe Cola says, but, 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 we want the Nuss bus. But, 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 Kelly is a bad hire and a bad coach. And 18 crying laughing emojis. Keep those comments coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. That's going to do it for hour number one, hour number two. Coming up right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Oh, yeah. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Daniel's going to keep trying to get to the edge. Gets by one defender. Cuts inside a blocker at the 20. Got another block at the 15. 10-5. Touchdown. Fighting Tigers. Jaden Daniels, 25-yard run. One play and a score. And it's 31-30. The Tigers cut the lead. Don't be surprised if Brian Kelly goes for two here. Don't be surprised. They're going for two. They're going for two, Chris. And LSU keeping the offense out there, looking to go for two and the win. Here in the first session of overtime, Alabama calling the timeout. Now the Tigers back out there. They'll have Jenkins and Neighbors wide to the right. Mason Taylor, the tight end, right of the formation. Williams in the backfield. Alabama can't get the players off the field. They just got him off. They had 12 on the field. Here we go. Snap to Daniels. Sprint out. Throw to the right. Caught. Right corner of the end zone. Mason Taylor. Tigers win. Tigers win. 
32-31, and the fans storm. And they just flooded onto the field. They ju- it was like a dam broke, and they just started. Fl- they couldn't wait to get onto the field. So much so that the press conference was delayed because you had players still on the field that couldn't get to the locker room that were still out there. And the PA announcer, God bless him, tried his best. Thank you for your enthusiasm. But could you please leave in an orderly fashion so we can have the grounds crew come out here and clean up the field? He had to say that about five times. It took more than an hour for them to clear out the fans. Because at Tiger Stadium, you only have four ways to get off the field. Four. That's it. For a place that seats, wait for it, 102,321 folks. That's how many people were there Saturday night. About 80,000 of them were on the field. Just, just, I was like, no, be none of that. I didn't go to the post-game press conference because of that. I was like, I ain't dealing with that. Nope. 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 (laughs) They're like, anybody else? There's a bunch of us in the press box. We're like, no, we're good. We're good. We're good. I'm not going to try to navigate that sea of people to try to get to the locker room for the post-game presser. No, thank you. 32-31 overtime win. Second straight win over a top 10 opponent. And LSU now, 7-2 overall. They're ranked in the top 10 in both polls. College football playoff rankings will come out Tuesday, the second version of those. Could LSU find itself as high as six? I think so. There's a distinct possibility for that. Now, they have to win out. There's no room for error for LSU. Ole Miss, Alabama plays this weekend. LSU plays at Arkansas. And you look at the Tigers' schedule. At Arkansas, Fayetteville's always tricky. It's an early kick, which I'm sure the TV executives are going to regret now. Hey, let's put LSU up at 11 o'clock. Woof. Mark that off your bingo card. But they'll be favored against Arkansas. They will demolish UAB. Sorry, Blazers. Who I think they've already fired their coach. And then it's going to be a trip to Texas A&M. And many Aggie fans wish they could get rid of Jimbo Fisher, but they can't. A&M lost over the weekend again. They had 20 players out with the flu. That's the excuse they'll, they'll use for losing the game. Not because Jimbo Fisher has lost his touch as an offensive play caller and they're not a very good team. A&M has to win their final three games. One of those including a game versus UMass. Oh, ooh, that's a world beater. Auburn, UMass, and then LSU. So A&M will be fighting to get bowl eligible in the regular season finale. I can guarantee you Jimbo Fisher desperately wants to get this team to a bowl game. They have to beat Auburn, who's already fired their coach. That game in College Station is going to have some salt to it. 
because A&M will be desperate. I still like LSU to win its final three games, to get to 10-2. and two. They're in the driver's seat now for the SEC West because they've beaten Bama, they've beaten Ole Miss, they've beaten Mississippi State, they've beaten Auburn. Alabama now has one loss in the West, two losses overall. LSU has already won the head-to-head to Ole Miss. They're in the driver's seat. This LSU football team can make it to Atlanta for the SEC championship game versus Georgia, who crushed Tennessee. Ten-win regular season, an SEC championship game appearance in year one? (laughs) Yeah. Many of you would have taken that in a heartbeat. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on our guy, Doug. Doug, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Oh, what a wonderful morning, Ray. Wonderful morning. You know, Ray, uh, I'm with James, man. I mean, we don't need some knucklehead from ERAT calling in to give us, uh, uh, explain us the rules of uh, college football, you know. That that uh, elephant hugger, trader. Uh, Ray, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Verlander for getting his win, and you can kind of feel it. You know, once he got that win, them coming back to Houston, you could feel it. Yeah. You know, last week last week when Chancey called in, I believe it was on a Tuesday morning or Monday morning. It was I Tuesday. Remember. Tuesday. Yeah. He lifted my spirits up, Ray. He really did. You know, I felt good about about things. But then, uh, then the Astros drop an egg, man, on their seven to nothing against the Phillies. It was like, oh, man, I'm like foot, you know. Like, God <laughs> almighty. When when Verlander got that win Thursday, and they were coming back to Houston, you could just feel it. It it was great. It was great. A, a good win. Uh, I, I'm I'm glad for Verlander and, and Dusty and and the rest of the team. That that was great. And a shout out to our LSU Tigers. What an epic epic game. And I'm jealous that you got to go over there, Ray. I got. I didn't to, know you were over there. I got I, I got to go, brother. I covered it for the station. Put some stuff on oh, social man. media. It was I, look. I, I've covered a lot of great ball games, um, a, a lot of epic college football games. I've also covered a lot of a, a lot of bad football. <laughs> so, but uh, it, it goes, you know. But that yeah. had to be, yeah. man. That, that very well could be the best game I've ever covered in college. I, I know it's a, one of the best I've ever seen. Uh, and look. You were right. It, it looked like it was going to be a 9-6 kind of defensive battle a la 2011. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what it looked like in the first half. And it just like when it got to the fourth quarter when both defenses started to run out of gas and then the offenses could, could march down the field and put up points. But this was just, just a beautiful game. Uh, the, the Tigers put it together and finally beat the Giants, you know, what a game! What a game! I'm so happy this morning. I know Foot's happy. He better be. <laughs> we texted him. <laughs> Hannah and I. Hannah and I texted him. Or no, she wasn't part of the text. So she's she's just now finding out about this. So <laughs> so Ben and Blaine and Kevin and I all went to Ben Love, Blaine Viator, Kevin and I went to the Astros regular season finale, game 162, when they right. took on the Phillies. And yeah. so we're on a group text. And I asked Kevin, and Blaine said, it should be a glorious morning. You should be happy. And I said, Kevin, for the love of all of us here at the station, for Hannah, for myself, 
for the interns. Please enjoy this and actually be in a good mood for at least a few days. Can we at least have just a few days of you not screaming into the microphone <laughs> with anger? Can you just enjoy your team winning the World Series? And he said, uh, he goes, yes. <laughs> so it should be a glorious, at least today. Now, the Saints play tonight, Doug, so there's no telling. Right? Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. there's no telling. But, but I appreciate the phone call. Enjoy your day. Be safe out there with all that fog out there, bud, okay? Thank you, Ray. And when you look at the Tigers now, you look at the SEC West and the way things have kind of – look at the crystal ball a little bit. Just not this year. Who presents LSU the biggest threat in the West? Well, it was Bama before the game. It's going to be Bama after the game, right? As long as Nick's there, even though I think Alabama's starting to slide back, he just feels that way, it looks that way. That's going to be their biggest challenge. Is anyone scared of Texas A&M? No. They're a dumpster fire. Arkansas, I love Sam Pittman. He's a good coach. But they are, are not a true threat to LSU. Mississippi State, Mike Leach, love them. Great character. Eh, they don't have very good seasons. Auburn is firing their coach yet again. Has already fired their second coach in less than two years. It's probably Ole Miss and Bama. Those are the two teams that are going to go toe-to-toe with LSU in the years to come under with Brian Kelly at the helm. Well, guess what? Brian Kelly already beat Ole Miss year one, beat Nick Saban in Alabama year two. Now, is LSU to the level of, say, Georgia yet? No. And if they meet in the SEC championship game, am I confident that LSU will not get run out of the building by Georgia? No. Bulldogs are defending national champs. They're the standard bearer now, right? That's the standard. But in year one, and not and, and don't forget how much, how many recruits were in the building for this game. They already got a lot of commitments on Sunday. How much this is going to help recruiting. By the way, we were told Brian Kelly, not a cultural fit. Wouldn't be able to recruit down south. Not a cultural fit. And what did I tell you guys? To the naysayers. Good coaching. That's all that matters. That, that, that's all that matters. Because if you're a good coach, you win ball games. And that's what the guys want more than anything else. That's what the players want. They don't care if you eat crawfish. They don't care if you know how to dance to... Uh, New Orleans rap songs like Les Miles did, or you eat crawfish and you talk like an, with an accent like Orgeron did. They don't care about any of that. They really don't. You know what guys care about? I saw Marlon Favorite and Brandon Taylor up in the press box talk to them during the game, the first half of the game. Two great former Tigers. You know what they care about? Winning. Winning. That's what they care about. That's why kids go to LSU is to win they want to win conference championships. They want to beat Alabama. They want to win national championships, and they want to go to the NFL. And LSU's always been able to do that. So if you can come to LSU and you can coach and you can have any semblance of structure and organization and you don't let yourself get too much of yourself, guess what you're going to do? You're going to have a chance. Less Miles, Ed Orgeron, 
are never going to be known as the smartest guys in the room, the best X's and O's guys in the room, ever. Not once. But they could recruit, and they won national titles. You know who can recruit? Brian Kelly. You know who's a better coach than both Ed Orgeron and Les Miles? Brian Kelly. You know who runs his program with structure? Brian Kelly. That's what this team needed. Year one. Year one. They're ranked in the top ten, lead the SEC West, and have beat, have defeated Ole Miss and Alabama. Brian Kelly, afterwards, was asked, the team that took the field that night in the Superdome, Labor Day weekend, that Sunday night where they, they struggled, right? A lot of things went wrong for LSU. They looked lost in that loss to Florida State. And Brian Kelly was asked Saturday night, after the Florida State debacle, did he think that this team would be able to win not one but two games against top 10 ranked opponents? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I knew I knew after the Florida State game that, that we were going to get better. I knew this football team was going to be a better team in November. Um, but I, I, I don't think that I've ever in my career kind of looked at the crystal ball and kind of said, hey, this is how many wins we're going to get or how many losses. What I did know is they had fight in them after the Florida State game. The way they came back, the way they battled. You know, we got an extra point block. Like, that's, that's on me. Like, to, to, it wasn't on them. So I knew, I, I knew that there were good days ahead for this group. Um, how they have worked out, and, and that's kind of why I, I went for it. I, I'm willing to, I, I'm willing to do anything for this group because I think that they have shown that they'll make it happen some way, and and they did again tonight. His predecessors did the same thing, by the way. Remember, Les Miles would go for it on fourth down. It was Jacob Hester that year? Kept running the football. He'd go for it with crazy extra point attempts and punts and fakes and everything like that. Orgeron gambled from time to time. When you do that, you're letting your guys know, I got your back. I believe in you. You guys go make the play. We got this. We're not going to be conservative. I believe in you. I believe that you are the better team on the field. I don't care that it says Alabama on their jersey. I believe in you. Let's go do it. And when you pull it off, those guys will now run through a brick wall for you. He stood by Kayshawn Butte, where a lot of us thought, hey, what's going on there? He didn't. He stood by him. Kayshawn Butte had the most receptions in a single game for an LSU player this year, Saturday night, by the way. This team buys in to Kelly. Doesn't care that he said, family. Doesn't care that he danced weirdly in social media videos. It doesn't care. Oh, coach has got our back and he wins? Okay, done. Let's head out back to the hotline quickly. Max has been waiting. Max, good morning to your brother. What's on your mind, my friend? So, RP, you talked about it for a hot second, but if if you're from Lafayette and you don't truly, you know, bleed and die with LSU, then you don't understand the magnitude of that game Saturday. The amount of recruits, and you saw it Sunday, 
the O lineman four star yep. committed immediately. Immediately. The amount of recruits and the, the hype of that game is not it's not a Lafayette, it's not a, a Louisiana thing. That is consistently been the game in college football. But it got stale for a while whenever, you know, they went on their roll and we couldn't beat them very often. But you got to see some of the excitement and what that game actually is. And the best meme that I saw all weekend was LSU football's official Twitter account trolling Stephen A. with his stupid comments about, well, I'm hearing bad things about Kelly down in Baton Rouge. You didn't hear anything. You're just trying to make some talking head moments on TV. And you got to see the entire team in the locker room telling Kelly how happy they were for him and telling him that's why you come here. And he's like, damn right. Yeah. And Max, you're exactly you're you're exactly correct. And look, I, I, I've said it before. It, look, LSU. It started under Saban, where he was able to turn them into a national perennial powerhouse, right? And then Miles was able to keep it going for a long time. I know we don't like less and and everything, but he kept it going where they were winning 10, 11 games every single year, and they were in the mix and had them go to two championship games. And then it fell off. Oh, stumbled out the gate, but then was able to build it up, win a championship, and then he lost the team, and he just kind of, you know, felt himself a little too much. You can win big at LSU. Like, it's one of those jobs. It is a premier job. If you come in with the right mindset and you can recruit, you're going to get the best prospects out of the state of Louisiana. You're going to be able to poach kids out of Houston all day long. You're going to be able to get guys out of Florida, too. Okay. It is one of those jobs. It is a premier job. And if you got the right mindset, you can win big and win a lot at LSU. It is one of the top. It's debatable in how you want to use the metrics and everything. It is a top three job in college football from fan base to money in the program to facilities. You name it, in-state talent, recruiting area. The, it's number one of three in college football. And, yeah, like Texas and Texas A&M have more money total, but it ain't like LSU's broke. And, You're talking about $80 million versus $100 million. And, it, and the At other that thing, point, it don't matter. And the other thing is it's probably the best atmosphere in college football on Everyone's a Saturday Everyone's finally night. seen it again. Right. So w- when they're good, when they're really good, it's, it's, if, it's one of the best, if not the best. Max, I appreciate the phone call, but I got to hit a timeout, bud. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day. Thank you. And, and that's the other part. When LSU is good, Tiger Stadium is special. It just is. It's special. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll keep it moving, getting closer and closer. We'll talk more about LSU when Jeff Palermo joins us in about 10 minutes from right now from Tiger Rag Radio. But up next, we're going to touch on what happened this weekend with the Cajuns and the Cowboys. Far different results for UL and McNeese. We'll get to that next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
know, I mean, I guess it's probably a little bit of both. You know, the time of possession was pretty even. Um, you know, we ran the ball really effectively at times early on. Um, you know, in the fourth quarter, though, we just we couldn't put them together and string it together um, and had some, you know, had some possessions that, you know, if nothing else, you eat some clock off and gives the defense a little bit more time. So it's probably a little bit of both, you know. Um, we had some defensive linemen go out early on, so that kind of affected your depth a little bit there. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the game, you know, on offense, you've got to at least put some drives together, get some first downs, and, and give them a little bit of time to get off the field. And, and I mean, you've got to give those guys credit, too. I mean, they had a good plan for our defense. They 12 personnel tempo. They kind of stuck with the run a little bit and um, it ended up, you know, hitting them when they needed to at the end. That's Coach Dez afterwards in a game that the Cajuns are going to kick themselves about. Lost to Troy 23-17 and with 23 minutes to go in this one they led 17-0. This is a game they let get away from them. This is the one that they gifted to Troy. They should have beat ULM earlier this year. They didn't. They probably shouldn't be. They should have defeated South Alabama. They didn't. This one is probably worst of all because Troy's a good team. You were at home. You got out to a 17 nothing lead in spite of Kenny Almadaris missing field goals, plural, not once but twice in the first half. That took six points off the board right there. That wins you the game. If he makes just one of those two, I'm not trying to single out the kid because I like Kenny. He's a good kid, a good young man. He got back on track with his field goal kicking, and then all of a sudden it just disintegrated. And when you needed him to make the kicks, he didn't. And the Cajuns inexplicably give up 23 unanswered points they couldn't get anything going late in this ball game. Troy ties it at 2:41 left in the ball game when Brooks Buse hits a 37-yarder to tie it at 17. But you know what the Cajuns' offense did? Nothing, and gave the ball back to Troy. So you let them go down the field to tie. The defense holds only gives up a field goal, a long field goal at that, or mid-range field goal, 37 yards. And you hold them. And then your offense can't do diddly-poo, as Jim Moore used to say. And then two minutes later, Vidal punches it in 22 yards with just five seconds left on the clock. The PAT was blocked, but it didn't really matter because Troy gutted the Cajuns. Lose at home 23-17. Troy scored 23 unanswered points in the final 15 minutes and three seconds of the ball game. That is a good old, big old woof. Just unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then gave up the game-winning touchdown with five seconds left. This is the type of loss that you worry they won't be able to get off the mat for. Because they have a quick turnaround. By the way, Georgia Southern is at Cajun Field on Thursday. Like this Thursday. 
So there's no time to pout. They have to turn around. They have to beat Georgia Southern. They have three games left. Georgia Southern at home. That's the last game at home. Then it's on the road at Florida State. They're not beating Florida State. And then it's at the ro- on the road at Texas State in San Marcos. Lovely San Marcos. They have to win their two conference games just to get bowl eligible. After blowing a 17-point lead in the last 15 minutes of the ballgame. Can they do that? Are they going to be mentally tough enough to bounce back to win Thursday night to give themselves a chance? Because they they just they have to win Thursday night just to give themselves a chance going into the Texas State game to win the Texas State game just to get to six wins just to be bowl eligible. And there's no guarantee that they'll even get to a bowl game. Coach Dez was asked afterwards, what's the goal now moving forward with three games left? Well, I mean, yeah, you got to win two out of three. So, you know, yeah, we got we to gotta figure it out. Got to figure a way to cl- close out games and, and go find ways to win in the end. Can they do that? I still, look, I've said it before in this era. I liked Dez higher. I think he's going to do a good job there. And I think this program would have regressed this year even if Billy was still here. Wouldn't have been as bad because you would still had Osiris Torrance and you still have Montreal Johnson, who are both starting for Florida, who won again over the weekend. But, man, that's the type of game that you just, it just guts you. We're going to find out a lot about the character of the Raging Cajuns after getting gutted like that on Saturday, if they can come back, turn it around, and beat Georgia Southern to give themselves a chance. It's gut check time, and it'll be Thursday. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll talk more about LSU's 32-31 win over Alabama with Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio. He joins us next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Brett Musburger's action update. LSU Tigers with a massive upset of Alabama on Saturday. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers in Southwest Louisiana. Yeah, I mean, I, look, we're, we're not here unless, you know, our quarterback plays really well. You know, this is whether it's peewee football or, you know, high school football, college football, or the NFL, your quarterback has to play well. And, uh, you know, he did some really amazing things, and, and in particular late, right? I mean, he, he made big plays late when he needed to. Uh, he ran when he needed to. He threw it and made big plays. But, you know, look, this is a team game. You know, we did some great things defensively. Uh, our special teams was, was good. Uh, look, to beat a, a top-10 team again at home and beat Alabama, you, you have to have a complete football game. Brian Kelly talking about his quarterback, Jane Daniels' performance, another sensational performance by the young man who came in from Arizona State and struggled early, but has really found himself under the guidance of Brian Kelly and that staff, and it helped them to a 32-31 overtime win over Alabama on Saturday night in one of the best games I've ever covered, and I've covered plenty of them. A man who knows about covering great games joins us now. 
co-host of Tiger Rag Radio. He's also the sports and news director for the Louisiana Radio Network. Jeff Plermo joins us. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How you doing? Doing well. How you doing today, Raymond? I made the wise decision not to go down on the field in the final moments, <laughs> so I wasn't crushed. I stayed comfortably in the press box Saturday night. How about you, bud? Yeah, that's a better view to watch it from the press box than on the field. I mean, just um, uh, what an environment inside Tiger Stadium. I mean, uh, a game that people will talk about for decades. Uh, uh, we can just go ahead and call it the conversion, right? I, I just, I, I think, you know, people were thinking about names and it's just, yeah, you know, just call it the conversion. Like that, that's what it should be called because he decides to go for it. What do you make of the play call and the execution and Kelly just saying, you know what? I believe in my guys. Let's go for it. Well, and I, I like the fact that you, you know, you have a play that you really like and you feel really confident about it. And as Brian Kelly said, hey, if you can, um, you know, if, if someone went up to you before the game and said, hey, if you can execute just one play and beat Alabama, uh, he'd take it 100 times out of 100. And, and he had the play in mind. It's a play that's worked for him in the past at Notre Dame. And he felt uh, obviously really good about it. And, you know, you go back to the, the game against Florida State, where they had the first extra point kick blocked, and then they had an opportunity there when there was a one-point game to go for two and win it. Instead, they decided to try the extra point again, and it was blocked again, and they ended up losing. Now, things are much different about this program now compared to back then, and I don't necessarily think Brian Kelly's second-guessing himself from that Florida State game, but it, it shows you that shows you just how far the program has come in such a short time that there's just confidence, especially in your quarterback, that he's going to make the right play. He's going to make a good throw. And you got the tight end that's going to execute this play, and the offensive line's going to do its job. Everyone's going to do its job, and you're going to execute it. And um, so he, he felt pretty good. And, and how about the fact that it, it just it, it caught Alabama off guard they they weren't ready for it they had to burn a timeout and in fact uh they nearly got 12 men on the field after the timeout so they were all out of sorts so um you know obviously it was the right call to make let's talk about the quarterback because look he looked pedestrian in many ways early in the season particularly in the florida state game but as the season has progressed he has progressed. He's gotten better chemistry with his wide receivers, in particular Butte and Neighbors. Mason Taylor has become more part of the offense. You could we hear reports that he's holding meetings with these guys, and he is absolutely flourishing. So much so that I look at him and I go, "This is a guy who should be in the mix for all conference honors for the SEC with Bryce Young and Hooker. He should be right there in the mix as well with Stinson Bennett battling out for one of the three quarterbacks to earn all conference honors." What's the big thing that stands out to you about his development, Daniels? Um, that I think it's confidence. I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, I think the guy is just uh, just feels so much better about his situation than he did at the beginning of the year. Confidence in the O line, confidence in his receivers. He's got a running game. He can he can lean on now. Um, I, I would say that, and then I think a lot of credit goes to quarterbacks coach Joe Sloan. Uh, really, obviously, has worked with him well to get him into the uh, 
right position to be in the position that he's in at this moment. And I, I don't think he'll he'll win it, but I think he should be also in consideration for some Heisman talk here. I mean, obviously, Hennon Hooker is going to put up some big numbers, but I think that loss to Georgia really that really hurts him. Um, and you know, it, it's it's about especially in the Heisman race, it's about finishing strong. And with the three opponents and now a game in the SEC championship that you'll likely play in, Jaden Daniels can really finish strong here and, and potentially, potentially be a finalist. I, I don't think he'll win it just because of, you know, the, obviously the first month of the season, five games of the season, it, it wasn't impressive enough. So he doesn't have the, the full body of work, but he played a better game than Bryce Young. And um, I think that's, I, I think part of that though was LSU's defense really getting after Bryce and making him feel uncomfortable for much of the night in Tiger stadium. But I think he, he's playing at the, at the top of his game. And um, yeah, he, he certainly has consideration for SEC uh, honors as far as, uh, you know, quarterback and first team, second team, whatever you want to put it. But I, like I say, I, I think uh, the, the numbers that he's putting up combined with rushing and passing and just having one interception on the season also looks pretty impressive as well for some national awards. You know, what else impresses me about this team is uh, two big things that came out of Saturday's game. And I've talked about this about Alabama all season long. They're not the most physical team across the line of scrimmage. LSU was the far more physical team defensively, their pass rush, just abused Alabama's tackles in particular, and Young had no opportunity to step up into the pocket to make throws. That was key in this game. And then on the flip side, with the exception of Anderson having the one sack, they nullified him, took him out of the game, and LSU's tackles did a very nice job of giving Daniels time to throw. Well, in so many previous LSU-Alabama games, it was Alabama's offensive line yeah. was just the, was the better was the better unit, and they don't have the talent on that front five like they've had in the past. I mean, there was a lot of talk about the drop off at as far as talent wise, uh, in when it comes to wide receivers for Alabama, but th- there's that decline there as well on the offensive line, and they have not been able to develop these guys to the level because I mean they're they're full of four and five star prospects there on that offensive line. But LSU has developed their O line faster than Alabama has this season. And that again goes a, a lot of that goes into coaching as well. For for Brad Davis to to get this offensive line playing at the level that it's playing is really impressive. And it features two true freshman offensive tackles. And Coach Kelly was asked about it after the game. And he, I think Coach Kelly is still in disbelief that this is actually working. I mean, I think if you asked him in July, hey, Will Campbell and uh, Emory Jones, that th- those guys are going to be your starting tackles. He's going to be, he'd probably be like, my goodness, my, my quarterback's going to get killed. How are we going to run the football? And uh, those guys have just, they've, They've been sensational. They've been outstanding. Uh, yeah, Will Campbell got burned on one play in particular in that game that I remember. Uh, but, you know, th- th- those are the things that are going to happen when you're going up against a potential number one pick overall in Will Anderson for Alabama. 
So, uh, but other than that, I, I, I thought they played really well. And, uh, yeah, Jaden was more comfortable than Bryce was uh, in the pocket on Saturday. Do you believe that the uh, LSU football team and its fans are now very happy that uh, Eli Ricks went to Alabama? Because he did not have a good game Saturday, bud. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I would, you know, and that's the other thing. I, I mean, I think uh, LSU's corners played really good. Makai Gardner, I thought, had a great game. I mean, that was his best game of the season. Uh, Jarek Bernard Converse, uh, the big interception early on. And, and I tell you what, the thought, this was the thought that went through my mind when that play happened, Raymond. I said, well, the last time LSU beat Alabama, their star quarterback uh, turned the ball over in the red zone on the first drive of the game. Maybe it'll happen again. And sure enough, it did. Remember, I mean, two yep. on that first opening drive, uh, marched Alabama down the field in 2019 and then fumbled the football and LSU recovered. And I, and it kind of set the tone, I think for LSU defensively in that game, that this is not going to be like previous LSU Alabama games. And I, I think that same thing happened uh, on Saturday night. I think that put some doubt in Alabama's head that this was not going to be an easy game and they were in a dogfight. How special is Harold Perkins Jr.? Well, maybe we're talking about him in a couple years like we're talking about Will Anderson. I mean, is that yeah. is that I mean, is that kind of um I mean, I'm not the 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 NFL draft guru and you know, I don't that that stuff is a, a little bit beyond me, but I mean, this guy is a difference maker. He, he absolutely is. And to have him and BJ Ojolari out there on the field at the same time, I mean, they're, they're just absolute disruptors. They're, they're a menace to uh, offenses and it's, it's hard. You can't, I mean, if you're going to double one guy, you're, you're, you're putting yourself in, in danger of the other guy really doing some damage against you. And then again, you, you still, you have this terrific defensive line overall uh, that continues to make, to, to continues to do make plays for you. So it's tough, but his, I mean, his emergence now into being a full-time player, I don't think it's a coincidence that LSU is, also just kind of turned a corner. It's LSU season has turned a corner as well. You know, not playing him enough against Tennessee. You saw what happened. Uh, now he's been out there. And granted, they gave up a lot of points to Florida. But um, this this defense has has stepped up its game uh, another notch with Harold Perkins out on the field. We'll get you out of here quickly with this. They're in the driver's seat now to win the West and go to Atlanta. Just think about that in year one for Brian Kelly after he took over a program with 39 scholarship players. But the big thing they now have to do is dealing with success and not taking their foot off the gas, having to go to Arkansas on Saturday, 11 a.m. kick, and then a desperate Texas A&M team in the finale. Do you feel that that's the biggest challenge for Brian Kelly and his staff is to make sure these guys don't feel too much of themselves, so to speak, and keep their foot on the gas to get to Atlanta? Well, yeah, there, there's no doubt that uh, they'll have to stay on them. Um, but uh, this team, you know, just the way that they're playing, it's just hard. I, I mean, I think their confidence is just through the roof at this point. Uh, and everyone's believing it, and it's right there for them now to win it. It's still, you know, yeah, 11 a.m. kickoff, 
coming off a big win. Uh, you're concerned about the uh, you know sleepwalking through this game against Fayetteville and then finding yourself in uh, a tough game in the fourth quarter. But I just think right now the way this team is playing and they're buying into everything that Coach Brian Kelly has to say, I, I think they – they understand what's in front of them. So, and not to say that they won't have some sort of a slow start against Arkansas, but I think at this point uh, they're just too talented, and they can overcome. You know, maybe a a a, a, a tough ten minutes or so to, to begin the football game. Um, but especially the way Jaden Daniels is playing right now. I mean, he he would have to really take. Uh, some serious steps back in his development for this to for these final three games to be a concern for LSU. Jeff, appreciate your time as always, brother. Tiger Rag Radio, the full two hours, live and direct, can be heard tomorrow night right here on the game. Brother, appreciate your time. Enjoy the show, and I'm sure y'all have nothing to talk about. <laughs> it should be a lot of fun starting at 6 o'clock. Thanks a lot, Raymond. we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number two. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Poll question of the day. We asked you, Monday Night Football. That's right. Monday Night Football, Saints, Ravens. Who do you have winning tonight's Monday Night Football game? 42% of you say the Saints. 18% say the Ravens. 24% of you say, who cares? LSU won. And 16% say, who cares? The Astros won the World Series. (laughs) Hey, man, you want to keep celebrating? Keep celebrating. I'm not going to hate on you. Oh, that's going to do it for hour number two. Ran a little late there with Jeff Palermo. Not a problem, though. Hour number three, we'll kick it off with Vinny Iyer talking all things NFL with our buddy from the Sporting News. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be alright this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The LSU Tigers take down Alabama 32-31 in overtime. Second straight Victory over a top 10 opponent. LSU's ranked in the top 10 in both polls. They will likely maybe even get as high as number six in the college football playoff rankings if I had to take a guess, maybe six or seven, when those are released on Tuesday. Brian Kelly's doing a tremendous job in year one for taking over a program that had 39 scholarship players. That's it. Didn't take him long at all. Good coaching makes all the difference. Houston Astros win their second World Series, taking game six on Saturday night. Alvarez comes up huge with the home run. Dusty Baker gets his first World Series championship. Justin Verlander wins another championship and got his first World Series win on Friday, on Thursday, rather. And the Strohs get to redeem themselves And instead of becoming the Atlanta Braves of the mid-90s, now, well, maybe they're more like the Yankees and Giants that we've seen in the last 20 years. 
But it was also an interesting weekend in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers looks lost. Tom Brady, with the exception of that last drive where the Los Angeles Rams defense decided not to play defense, looks bad. The Bills look vulnerable. To break it all down for us is our friend who covers the National Football League for the Sporting News, Vinny Iyer, joins us now. Vinny, good morning to you, bud. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me, RP3. Appreciate you making the time, bud. I know you're busy, so let's get right to it. What is going on in Green Bay? What is going on with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers? Well, I think what's happened here is something always seems to go wrong for them offensively. And early in this game, I thought the rookie Romeo Dubs was going to have a big game. I looked at it, and so they're going to target him early. He made the play. One down with looks like a significant injury here. I think they were just thrown off. I think Aaron Rodgers was excited to go to this kid, and then he's like, okay, I don't have a lot of weapons. Once again, I'm going to make it happen. And what you're seeing is the Packers should be running the ball. I mean, I don't understand. I mean, they ran the ball really well against the Bills. It kept them in the game the previous week. And, okay, you had good offensive line, two good running backs. That's what you have to kind of morph your identity into. But they just kind of panicked and forced balls up. And then when you have three turnovers essentially in the red zone, when you're in scoring position, you throw away at least nine points, probably threw away at least uh, 20 points in that situation where you look at it, that's it. You can't recover from that. You don't get those opportunities very often. If you make those mistakes at critical times, as lesser quarterbacks have known throughout the years, that's not going to give you an opportunity to redeem yourself later in the game. Those points will come back to haunt you. Know, that's what happened in that game. And it, yet also the fourth down stops essentially – four trips down there in scoring position where you come up completely empty against the Lions team that was just giving up a ton of points. So there are some games, and I look at it a couple of weeks ago with the Buccaneers against the Panthers, and I looked at it yesterday with the Lions and Packers that sometimes one team just loses the game. The other team doesn't win it. They're just inviting you to take it and all game long, but you make too many mistakes. The other team just doesn't make mistakes, and capitalizes on the few chances that they have. And that's what happened with the Lions. And the Packers, again, they can only blame themselves. And Rodgers can only look at himself. What are we doing here with these play calls where I'm hitting a guy's helmet, I'm throwing to an offensive lineman in a critical down on fourth to try to get a touchdown? So it was a little bit of panic mode. It's not what we're used to from the Packers, that's for sure. Let's talk about another team that's had a disappointing start to the season. That's the defending world champions the Los Angeles Rams they had that game one defensively I don't really understand what they did there in in the final moments against the Bucks, but that was an ugly game from start to finish with the exception of maybe that Cooper Cup touchdown which looked really nice the Rams I know they lost pieces Vinny I get that but they look absolutely a shell of what they were last year or at least what they were last year late yeah, for sure. I mean, the biggest difference is on this team is they simply don't have the same level of talent. Their offensive line has been gutted. They've had injuries. They're not good up front either way. I mean, some offensive lines are really bad at pass protection. Some are not very good at run blocking. The Rams are not good at either at this stage. That is troubling. And then you are a pass-happy team. So it's a chain reaction event. You can't run the ball consistently. That means you're going to have to pass a lot. That means your quarterback's going to take a lot of hits. He's going to be under a lot of pressure. 
So he's going to feed the guy that he trusts most, Cooper Cup. He can't get the ball to anyone else. Then defensively, look, it's great that they have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, and those guys make a ton of plays every single week. But there's always somebody else that you can go target and make plays on. And you had that third guy, right, last year. I know Bobby Wagner's played pretty well, but he's a different type of player. He's a guy that's going to react to the running game and help there. Von Miller was an absolute disruptor. We've seen it now with the Bills as well that he can take over games. So you have three guys that can wreck a game plan. Now you only have two, and the rest of the guys are not playing all that well. So I think the Rams just have too many holes right now the way they're playing. They're used to scoring a lot of points. I mean, last year they scored 27 points per game. Now they're down around 16. That's not going to get it done in the NFL. You have to have an offense. And again, the Buccaneers, you can put them in the same boat. The Packers, you got to score points. And I think that's the biggest thing is, like, we see the numbers that we've seen recently from Stafford and Brady and Rodgers that – these are shocking. I mean, it's not like one year they all lost their skill set. It's just things around them have crumbled. They've not played as well. You know, Rodgers and Brady may have some personal stuff going on that are, they're battling all throughout this year. Then you have uh, Stafford. I just think this is the kind of quarterback he is. I mean, this is what we saw a lot of the time in Detroit. It's not like all of a sudden he came to Los Angeles and lifted the team. I think it was the other way around. And if he's going to play this poorly, it's going to be very hard for them to win. Yeah, we're talking about three teams in the Packers, Bucks, and the Rams that people had lofty preseason expectations for, viewed them as contenders, and they're, n- none of them are playing that way as it stands right now as we head into the middle of November, Vinny. But a team that is playing well, and they are just flying under the radar. We're so focused in the NFC on Philly and them being undefeated. And, of course, the Cowboys and the Giants have, get always pub because they're the Cowboys and the Giants. But can we talk about the Minnesota Vikings? Because they feel like the best team in the NFC and the best team in the NFL that we don't talk about enough. Yeah, I think why the Vikings don't get talked about a lot is everyone remembers week two, what happened in Philadelphia, that they saw what the best team in the NFC did to them. I think they're so skeptical about what they've done with their schedule and Maybe got some breaks to beat the Cardinals and Commanders last two weeks. So I think it's the way they're winning. It's not always impressive. It's not like pulling out people and dominating the way that other teams are capable of doing. So I think that's it. But you look at the finishing record, it's there. But I'm not sure anyone believes in the Vikings there. But who else are you going to believe in at this stage in the NFC? I mean, I guess you could look more at the Cowboys. And if they could make a run, maybe having the pressure off of not being a division champ. Maybe they can go for a run. Maybe the 49ers with uh, their defense probably getting healthier. you got all the offensive weaponry you need there with the Rams and Bucks and Packers fading where the 49ers are that reliable team when they went to the Super Bowl and went to the championship game. But maybe teams are just – their opponents are maybe kind of playing the Vikings to that middling level. And they just haven't been all that dominant or impressive in a game – in a big spot, and the one big spot they had was against the Eagles. So we'll have to see going forward. I don't know if they'll get that spot anymore. I mean, the Packers, Bears, and Lions in their own division also are going to give them a walkover here to the playoffs. So I don't know, like, how tested this team is, and I think that's the concern overall. But you got to give them credit. They're winning the games they should, and they had struggled with a lot of that in the Mike Zimmer era. They did, and in the NFL, it doesn't matter how you win, right? It's You just win. And that's all that matters, right? Al Davis said it best. Just win, baby. And the Vikings, even though it looks ugly 
and they win a lot of ugly games, they still win. And really, that's kind of all that matters, especially while other contenders are struggling and are well below 500 in the NFC. We're talking with Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News. He joins us here on RP3 and Company talking NFL. But let's talk about the Bills. Look, you're going to drop games, right? The Jets are improved. But we all penciled in Buffalo to run away with the AFC East and be the Super Bowl team for the AFC. A lot of people did before the start of the season. I'm not saying that's changed, but I think the Dolphins and the Jets are going to have something to say about it, right? And do you see something in these losses that the Bills have had where you go, eh, that may be a concern in the postseason? Well, I think the one thing that you have to do against the Bills is run the ball, and we've seen it. And I think the Packers kind of unlocked that last week because they just pound on the Bills. And the, there was a big, sneaky loss in the Bills' defense yesterday with Matt Milano. He's a great linebacker who has great coverage against running backs. He's also very good in helping them stop the run. He was not active for that game against the Jets, and that opened up a lot of possibilities there for that running game and using the backs and kind of Jets going back to the system they had with Brees Hall and trying to win games that way. They just did it with two different guys. They're helping Zach Wilson. So they kept Wilson protected for the most part. They ran and they pounded on the bill. So what you do when you do that, you avoid all their talent in the secondary. You don't make Von Miller a factor because they can't rush the passer if you're not tossing. So that's a really hard thing because they're built to do that. But if you can stick with the run, pound them for a while, and physically take it to them. And I think that, that happened defensively, too. I think you have to get physical with these teams. I wouldn't call the Bills a finesse team, but they are dependent on a lot of big plays in the passing game to win games. And if you can rough them up a little bit, make those throws a little bit harder, get in the quarterback's face a little bit, it's going to be difficult to move the ball. And you saw that to some degree with the Titans. I mean, they grinded through that game against the Chiefs. I mean, they did a great job. I mean, you have to say that. Even they lose that game, but 20-17 to 17 in overtime with Patrick Mahomes throws all over the field on them. I mean, that is impressive. So that's why you have to be physical. You can win games in the trenches and do that. So you're seeing some of these teams that are kind of zagging where everyone's digging with the wide-open passing games. And, again, it throws off these defenses that are built more to play zone defense, rush the passer, but when you run on them, then all of a sudden they don't know what to do. So maybe this unlocks something for the Bills defense, a way to attack them. But you got to be impressed with the Dolphins and Jets. I mean, they both beat the Bills at home this year. No one, I don't think, expected that in 2022. Who's had the more disappointing season, the Raiders or the Colts? I think it's the Raiders because I don't think I expected the Colts to be all that good, like, to be honest. I thought they would just maybe sneak in and win a weak division. But the Raiders, to me, are disappointing because they had all this hype around them. And I thought, sneakily, they might be a better team than the Broncos in the division. I thought you would see their offense at least carry them. But it's been really disappointing. And you blow now three leads of 17 points or more. I don't think the entire league has done that. I think it's two teams of blown leads total that have been 70 points or more, but two 17 point leads there to the Jaguars and chiefs. They also blew a 20 point lead to the Cardinals. I mean, <laughs> this is just a really disappointing team overall because you look, okay, they got Derek Carr and 
Devontae Adams, and you got Josh Jacobs and Hunter Renfro. They, I know they haven't had Darren Waller healthy, but Foster Moreau down there, that LSU kid, has played really well for them at tight end. So you look at their weapons, so why aren't they not better? Why aren't they not scoring more points? Why aren't they putting teams away with their running game? So I don't know. Something weird is going on with Josh McDaniels, and Derek Carr has not played all that well. So to me, the Raiders on paper have that profile of a team that can make some noise, especially as a playoff team from last year. I don't see it this year. It's just a team that does not know how to close out games. Vinny, appreciate your time as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work you're doing for the Sporting News, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thank you. Hey, just a reminder that here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines of gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, or any other reason, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe you only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service and to promote public safety. Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, remind you call 811 and know what's below before you dig. Yeah, take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll update the poll question of the day. And we'll also recap the McNeese Cowboys getting that win over the weekend. That's all coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Now back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We've been close so many times this year, uh, but I don't know if we've had a game with this much adversity uh, hit us in the face. Uh, and, and for us to put up those numbers and execute like we did, um, yeah, I'm extremely excited for these young men. I mean, they – they have been working hard all year. Um, you know, things haven't gone our way, but they have not given up. They continue to battle. They continue to come to the office every day with a, with a great attitude. Um, and, and we just keep talking about, hey, things are out of our control sometimes, and we got to make the best of it. And, and that's football, and that's life. So uh, tonight was a great example of us for Walker to go down that early, and then um, for Ryan Roberts to step in and, and, and manage the game like he did. Uh, just, just so excited for him. That's McNeese head football coach Gary Goff following his team's 29-15 win over Eastern Illinois, their second win of the season. They finally break through, snapping a four-game losing skid on Saturday night there in the hole against the visiting Panthers. Now, you talked about Walker Wood. Remember, Walker Wood was the former quarterback turned wide receiver who was turned back to quarterback because Knox Kadem injured. 
can't go. And Cam Ramson is running the scout team. They're not letting him on the field. So Walker gets injured in this game, and they have to go to the freshmen. And Roberts comes in and does a nice job. And you're allowed to have that uncertainty and allowed to have a guy come in that way when you can run the football as well as McNeese does. That's been the big takeaway for the Cowboys is that they can run the football. And Deontay McMahon, cool man, he's special. We're talking all-conference type of player, even though they're having a bad season. He rushed for a career-high 211 yards and scored a rushing touchdown, caught 24 receiving yards, and then also threw for a touchdown. Halfback pass action up in this ball game as they were able to pull out the win. Roberts did a nice job coming in off the bench for the injured Walker Wood. Completed 13 of 20 passes for 177 yards and a touchdown as they win 29 to 15 Saturday night over Eastern Illinois. And you know what stood out to me as well? The defense. The defense has been a work in progress all season long. They did a very nice job. Eastern Illinois, one of their touchdowns came late in this ballgame in the fourth quarter. Overall, McNeese's defense did a very nice job in this ballgame. And Coach Gary Goff talked about how well the D did against Eastern Illinois. Yeah, I thought defense did a really good job as well. Um, same thing with their adversity. I mean, we're, we're I don't know if I can tell you who's all playing corner right now. <laughs> You know, uh, we, we've got so many guys playing in and out, um, you know, and um, extremely happy for him. I, obviously, Cordell having 14 tackles. I mean, the young man's all over the field, and uh, he really is electric and plays so hard that, that you know, his passion and, and uh, energy rubs off on his teammates. And um, thought they did a great job uh, slowing up that quarterback. You know, we, we knew they wanted to run the ball 50 times, uh, and – this is the quarterback's first game back in a couple weeks, and uh, you know he, he kind of makes their offense go. So, you know, we, we thought coming to this game we'd have our hands full, but uh, it was great for us to keep them behind the chains and force them to throw the ball, uh, something that you know they don't they don't want to do every down. McNeese's defense held Eastern Illinois to only 319 total yards of offense, only 132 on the ground, and they were very good with their third down defense. Eastern Illinois was four of 12 on third down conversions. And they only held the ball 26 minutes. McNeese, 33. So winning formula there for the Cowboys as they were able to pick up the win. And, and here's the thing about this team. We've talked about this over and over again. This is a, a rebuild. Golf has taken this down to the studs in building from scratch. And that means playing a lot of younger guys. That means throwing guys into the fire and seeing what they can do. Once again, he had to add 50 players to this roster since he took over and figuring out who can play and who can't. And they've made progress as the season has gone along. They nearly broke through beating Nichols and Southeastern in back-to-back weeks. They finally do against Eastern Illinois. And they have a, a chance to finish the season strong with three straight wins because now that they beat Eastern Illinois, Houston Christian, formerly Houston Baptist, the football team that has a CVS attached to the field, that's coming up next on Saturday. And then at home against Lamar, both of those teams are struggled. So McNeese has a very good opportunity here to end the season on a high note, right, with three straight wins. And Goff talked about just seeing his team's progress from week one until now. 
You know, I told them last Saturday um, after that that tough defeat there that um, in the locker room, I told them if they would play with that much energy and passion that a week from tonight we'd be in the locker room celebrating. And uh, and that's that's exactly what they did. You know, they went out there and played hard for four quarters. When when you know Walker went down, the team could have panicked and really could have folded tent and just kind of gave in like it's just not not meant to be. And they didn't do that. So, um, you know, for us to to battle through like that, um, I, I'm very, very excited for these young men. They, they deserve it. They deserve some success because they've worked so hard. Um, you know, it's, it's not going to be easy. Nobody's going to give it to us. we got to earn it. And I thought they went out there tonight and earned it. They did. And they have a great opportunity in the last two weeks to build up some momentum for the 2023 campaign. Congrats to Coach Golf and the Cowboys for getting the job done on Saturday. Poll question of the day is who do you have winning tonight's Monday night football game? Reminder about that game. You can listen to it live right here on the game, right? Courtesy of Westwood One. Saints hosting the Ravens. But you can also get geared up for it. And that's a reminder to let you know to get geared up for it by tuning in or going and hanging out with Miguez and Mitch. Crunch time. We'll be broadcasting live from Twin Peaks on Johnston this afternoon from 4 to 6. They're going to get you prepared for Monday night football between the Ravens and the Saints. They're going to break down the, the weekend of action. They're going to preview the game for you out there live from Twin Peaks on Johnston. They have great deals. You can try the teeth-chattering, ice-cold beer, great appetizers, burgers, and more. So come hang out with Crunch Time, with Miguez and Mesh, this afternoon, 4 to 6, at Twin Peaks on Johnson. They'll gear you up for the Monday night football game between the Ravens and the Saints. Our poll question of the day, who do you have winning tonight's Monday night football game? 41% of you say the Saints. 26% say, who cares? LSU won, still celebrating the victory over Alabama. 17% of you say the Ravens are going to win. 16% of you say, who cares? The Astros won the World Series. Ralph Bergeron on the, the Twitter says, Hart says Saints, but how do you contain Jackson? For once, the Saints are healthier than their opponents, so maybe that helps. Wonder if LSU would loan us Harold Perkins Jr. for a night. Boy, that kid can play, man. He can absolutely just flat-out ball. Martin says, Astros finally win one for Dusty, so I'm soaking this all in, but I will say this as an Alabama fan. If Daniels comes back next season, which I think he will, I think it has the makings to be another special season for LSU. The man can play some ball. Salty Steve says, beating Bama is pretty special. Apologies to BK on doubting his coaching. See? Salty Steve says, hey, I'm going to own this. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Right now, though, it's time for us to take a timeout. When we return, Big Easy Blitz and Ralph Malbro from the Saints Happy Hour podcast is going to join us. Help us preview Saints Ravens. That's next right here on The Game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know a smart speaker is only as smart as the person using it. You big dummy. Time for you to be smarter and ask your Alexa to enable the game skill. My boy's wicked smart. You can enable it by saying the game Southwest Louisiana. So be smart and have your Alexa play the best live and local sports talk around. All right, let's get it. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
We are efforting Ralph Monroe from the Saints Happy Hour podcast. We'll see if we can get him on for the Big Easy Blitz, but you know what? If he calls, great. If not, that's okay, too. We can just go ahead and just roll right along. Saints, Ravens, tonight. How do you stop Lamar Jackson? You can put up your hands and say stop. As the producer extraordinaire, Miss Anna, five names just recommended. Maybe that works. Could work. Why not trying it? Why not try it? Say, can you just stop what you're doing? Just stop. There was a coach yesterday, the Miami coach actually did that in yesterday's game where he told he told the quarterback, he said, can you stop now? Can you just stop? The opposing quarterback, can you just stop? Stop doing that. Don't think that's going to work. Pete Werner's going to need to have a great game. He's played great this season. You could argue he's the best linebacker on the team and maybe even the best defensive player on the team, the second-year pro out of Ohio State. Going to have to contain Lamar. Look, Jackson's going to get his numbers. But you're going to have to force him to beat you with his arm. You can't let Lamar run over you for 150 yards, which he can do. you got to be able to contain. Having a guy like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson would go a long way in this game. Alante Taylor. You're going to have to contain Lamar. Now, Jackson may be out with his starting tight end and one of his starting wide receivers, so the Ravens are going to be down a few weapons here, which helps the Saints out. So if you can force Lamar to be one-dimensional, take away his ability to beat you with the run, and have him try to beat you with his arm, down a few of his prime targets, two of his main weapons, that lends itself advantage for the Saints. Absolutely. That gives them a leg up. Now, offensively, the Saints are facing a team that isn't very good. Ravens' defense has struggled. Marcus Williams is out with the injury. They trade for Roquan Smith from the Chicago Bears. He's going to have maybe four or five days to learn the playbook and get accustomed to what they're doing, so there's no telling how much playing time he's going to have or how much of an impact he's going to be able to make. But it's a favorable matchup. Baltimore's defense is not very good, which is a weird thing to say about the Ravens, that they don't have a very good defense. Will we, will we see more of what we've seen from the Saints? Running the football, running it well, getting the ball to Alvin Kamara ton, getting Taysom Hill the ball, having him be part of the game plan, lining him up at Wildcat quarterback or throwing him the ball across the middle. We don't think Jarvis Landry is going to be able to go. We already know Michael Thomas. We found that out, that he's not going to be playing the rest of the season. Landry may not be able to go tonight. But the formula for the Saints has been, hey, get the ball to AK. Get the ball to Kamara. Incorporate Taysom Hill into the offense and get Chris Olave involved. 
If they do that, they should be able to beat the Ravens. Offensively, I like the Saints to be able to put up enough points. I think it's a favorable matchup for the Saints against the Ravens' defense. If they keep calling plays like they have been the few the last few weeks, getting Hill involved, making Kamara the focal point, having Chris Olave catch everything that's thrown his way, which that's what he does, and he's only a rookie, they're going to be able to put together enough points in this ballgame to win. My question is for the Saints is not offensively. The red, the red rifle will be able to do enough. The offensive lines played better. They're getting good production out of Cesar Ruiz and even, wait for it, Andres Pete. Yes, I just paid a compliment to Andres Pete, Pondwater. I think they'll be able to get, they'll be able to do that. And they'll be able to put up enough points. And I'm sure once we get Ralph on the phone, because I know we're efforting to get him on the line here for the Big Easy Blitz, he'll be able to tell us the same thing. Offensively, not worried. More so defensively, can they contain Lamar Jackson? Because that's what it's going to boil down to in this game. Can the defense, who we saw play so well against the Raiders, can the defense, they don't need to do a shutout here because the offense is going to be able to put together a few touchdown drives, at least. They can score 21, 24 points. Can the defense contain Lamar enough to be able to give themselves a chance to win this ballgame? That's the big question mark. That's the big question mark for me. Offensively, they'll be able to do it. Offensively, I feel like the Saints are going to be able to score enough points. Defensively, without a few of his top weapons, can they make Lamar Jackson one-dimensional and force him to beat them with his arm? Can the Saints do that? Because if they can, they can win tonight. Once again, point spread is only like a point and a half in favor of the Ravens. So this is essentially a coin flip game. Let's head out to the hotline after some due diligence by the producer and the intern extraordinaires. We have Ralph on from the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Bud, appreciate your time. Buddy, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Sorry, I apologize for that. When I'm at my regular job, I have to be right next to the dumpster or my cell phone doesn't work, and I forgot about that. Like, in the building, my, my reception doesn't work. So I have to be standing next to the open-air dumpster or my cell phone doesn't work. But we're ready to go. It was a long weekend, right? I mean, I had, a, I had the Astros winning. I had LSU. It was a lot of, it was a lot of drinking, a lot of carousing. It, was, it might have been the greatest sports weekend of my entire life. I'm not going to lie. There we go, bud. It was for a lot of folks, <laughs> that's for sure. And uh, I could make jokes about standing next to the dumpster and, and about the state of the NFL and offensive football this year. But I'm, it's, the NFC South is all here. Oh, so you're good. They're, you're good. They're, they're all there. All right, let's talk about this game because offensively, ever since they tweaked the play calling a little bit and they decided to lean on Kamara and involve Taysom Hill into the offense with Red Rifle at quarterback, they've really kind of shined and the offensive line has done a better job. Are you concerned moving forward that this team's going to be able to score enough points? Because I'm not. I think they're going to be able to score enough points week in, week out. 
It's all about turnovers and whether or not the defense can be dominant. Well, the, the only thing that I have a concern about is, listen, if, if they play a team, and they're gonna, it's going to happen before the end of the year, they're going to play a team. It might not be, hopefully not tonight, but they're going to play a team that's going to stuff their run game in a locker, right? And then when that happens, it becomes, what you got, Andy Dalton? We're gonna have we're gonna have a ginger party, and that's when you get concerned, right? And I think that could happen at any moment. But to your point, I think Pete Carmichael has done as tremendous a job as you could do with this offense. I mean, they don't, you know, they don't have the they don't have Michael Thomas, they don't have James. We can argue about that, but everything they've overcome, and to be where they are, like Dalton, Andy Dalton is like a top ten quarterback by EPA, like since he's been playing, which. Take that as you will if you like advanced stat nerds or whatever. But to me, it all starts with the running game. And the thing with the Saints is they are in a weird spot where I think they Michael Thomas injury, it really hurts them maybe because I just think if they would have been able to plug him in, I think this offense would have been able to been be special like the rest of the year. And, and they would have, like, lifted up Andy Dalton to, like, height of, like, Cincinnati era. Because if you look at Andy Dalton, Raymond, tell me, what like, what's the difference between him and his best in Cincinnati to what he's given the Saints? Like, it looks exactly the same to me. Like, you can argue Andy Dalton's not good enough to win the Super Bowl and all that. We know that. But, like, he looks exactly like the guy that, won a bunch of games in Cincinnati and did a bunch of stuff. And, like, if you told me Andy Dalton was 25 and the quarterback of the future for the Saints, I'd be like, I'm not great about it, but okay, let's go. Like, I think that I think Andy Dalton, you can't ask any more of him. And they've kind of tailored – and they kind of tailored the offense to his strengths too, right? And, and they lean on the running game, which they did in Cincinnati when he was at his peak, and he's able to get the ball in in playmakers' hands like Kamara and Chris Olave. And I, I agree with you; they'll eventually they're going to stack the box and try to take the running uh, game away. I don't think that's going to happen tonight because Baltimore's defense isn't very good. And let's talk about that matchup. Uh, typically, Baltimore is always led by its defense. But their defense isn't very good. Even when Marcus Williams was playing for them, the former Saint, before he got injured, they're not very good. What kind of advantage do you think the Saints are going to have tonight on Monday Night Football? Well, I think they're going to have a really interesting game. You don't think of Baltimore this way because, you look, like you said, you look at them like they've got Marcus Williams, they drafted Hamilton from Georgia Tech, they have Marcus Pierce. Like this secondary should be – they have Humphrey. This secondary should be really good. But in fact, Raymond, their secondary is horrific. Like – they get torched on the regular. I mean, they've gagged up. They gagged up a three touchdown lead to Miami. They gagged up a ten point lead to the Giants. Their pet, their their secondary. It's not Falcons. Anyone can light it on fire and have a good game. Bad, but it's close. You know. So the like the Saints are going to do business against it tonight, and especially if Landry's back and at close to full strength and can contribute. They're going to move the ball on Baltimore. Like the, the thing with the Saints is, you never know. Like, is the turnover binge fountain going to get started back up? When they're going to step on a bunch of rakes, right? But like, besides that, like the Saints are going to Saints are going to move the ball on Baltimore because Baltimore's defense is not is not is not good. And you don't think of Baltimore that way, 
but their their defense is dreadful. And I, I want to say, like, their fourth quarter defense is either the worst or the second worst, but I'm, I don't know for exactly sure what it is. But it's, it's bad. It's, it, it smells as bad as the dumpster that I'm standing next to. Baltimore's offense, meanwhile, is obviously led by Lamar Jackson. He is, he is special. And we could daydream all day about what he would have looked like under Sean Payton. Uh, but that that that's just a dream. We're never going to see that a reality. But Can I just say this? Can I just say this? Google me. Google my name and Lamar Jackson. I wrote a thousand words the day before the draft to go get Lamar Jackson. So like, like not only am I on record, like I wanted it. It's like on the internet forever. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. I like that. I like that. A lot of pe- a lot. Look, a lot of people thought that would be a good match, but look. He is he is special, and he can mm-hmm. beat you with his arms and his legs. But he's going to be down a couple weapons, down a wide receiver, mm-hmm. maybe even down his tight end. This is a, a game where the Saints' defense just has to bow up and say, "You know what? You're not going to beat us with your legs." And that's always mm-hmm. a struggle. I get that. Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray mm-hmm. and others have hurt him. Is that should that be the game plan? Forcing Lamar just to try to beat him with his arm? I think so. The hard part there is if you say, "Hey, beat him with his," we're going to make him throw. We're going to play zone, which the Saints don't really play a lot of. Then he sits back there, right, and you worry that he can just take off at any moment. Yeah. I'm going to be interested. Now, my co-host, Andrew Juju, you know, he has poo-pooed my theory, but the Dolphins under Brian Flores, they came up with this plan, and it worked when they did it, and other teams did it. It hasn't worked as effectively. But, but Brian Flores' plan was, we're going to blitz Lamar Jackson, and the point of the blitz, is to make him check out of the play and get rid of the ball. We want the ball out of his hands because if it's out of his hands, right, then he can't scramble, then he can't beat you. The problem with that plan is you got to tackle at perfection levels. And <laughs> if we know anything about the Saints in 2022, they don't tackle at perfection levels. But I wonder, Raymond, if that might be part of the plan tonight of, hey, get the ball out of his hands. Because you said it. Their playmakers are banged up, right? So if you're the Saints, are you like, hey, let's get the ball. Make him throw it to check down to Kenyon Drake, to these receivers that no one's heard of because Bateman is hurt and Andrews might be hurt. Let's make him throw to these receivers that no one has heard of, and let's try to tackle. Like I think that might be in play. And we'll see. To me, Raymond, this game is going to be a lot like the Cincinnati game. Like, Baltimore is a good team, and it's going to be close. And I think the Saints are going to play well. And for all the, 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 the horrible ending of Cincinnati, like, the Saints were up 10 in that game, and they had the ball. And, like, if Dalton, if he doesn't get pressured and he completes the third and four, like, they win that game, right? Yeah. So, I think this game is eminently winnable. And listen, Raymond, the NFC South is so bad. Like, just win, win tonight, go 3-0 and the rest of the way in the South, get one other win, get to 8-9, and nine, and I think we're going to have a, cha- a division championship T-shirt we're all going to be wearing. Like, I think that's the plan, and it's doable. Like, because this division is uh, – It's you, terrible, man. Watching Saints alone. Have you ever seen a worse division in your entire life? No, I have not, brother. I have not. I got to let you go, bud. I'm up against the break. I appreciate the time, Ralph. Enjoy the game tonight, my friend. I will.
We got to take a timeout, wrap up the hour, wrap up the show. That's all next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Want to be one of the first people to see Black Panther Wakanda forever? Then text the word Panther to 337-283-8100 for your chance to win a spot for two on the guest list for a private viewing of Black Panther Wakanda forever at Celebrity Theaters in Broussard this Thursday. That's right, Wakanda forever this Thursday. Once again, text the word Panther to 337-283-8100 to score tickets for Black Panther Wakanda forever brought to you by The Game, Celebrity Theaters, and Sherman Insurance. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio, Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News, and Ralph Mauro from the Saints Happy Hour Podcast. Final results of the poll question of the day. Who do you have winning tonight's Monday night football game between the Saints and the Ravens? 41% of you say Saints. 26% say who cares? LSU beat Bama. 17% say the Ravens. And 16% of you say who cares? The Astros won the World Series. Thank you for all who commented. Thank you for all who voted on our poll question of the day. That's going to do it for this tremendous Monday edition of RP3 and Company. Ooh, make sure you're safe out there today. Fog is still out there. It's been out there all morning long. We're supposed to have some showers this afternoon as well, so make sure you're careful out there today, okay? For the intern extraordinaire, Moses Campos, the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Dames, I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9, but until then, be safe out there. Be kind to of one another. Kevin Foote and hopefully a glorious footnotes is up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. <laughs>